Welcome to our summer series. If you're new or relatively new to Nativity, we're so glad to have you with us. Stop by the Welcome Center on the concourse and we have a special gift for you with your name on it. A gift to just say thanks for being with us. To all here in our sanctuary and all those online, welcome. We are individuals who certainly love God, love others, and are adept at making disciples. We are in the fourth week of our six-week series, Presence, the Mystery of the Eucharist. For the first three weeks, we saw how the earliest foreshadowing of the Eucharist is actually in the book of Genesis, hundreds and hundreds of years before the New Testament. It comes in the book of Genesis when Melchizedek, the priest and king of Salem, brings bread and wine to Ab Abram for winning a battle. First time we see bread and wine as a symbol of victory. Two weeks ago, we saw the development of bread and wine of Melchizedek now being seen hundreds of years later in the Gospel of John as Jesus' own flesh and blood. Pretty cool. Then last week, we saw how Jesus' physical presence and the sharing of bread and wine in the meal at Emmaus are one and the same reality. His sharing of bread and wine and his walk with the disciples are one and the same. And then he vanishes, amazing. For those who like roadmaps in their thinking, I just put this one up. Genesis, Melchizedek, bread and wine. First mention of bread and wine as a way of gifting and being, having a victory, experiencing a victory. The second was John and the Gospel where Jesus' very own words are, this is my body, this is my blood. And then third, the disciples on Emmaus. Two guys walking along with a stranger who happens to be Jesus and they don't know it. They get to a meal. Jesus breaks and blesses bread and he vanishes. They connect Jesus in the walk with Jesus, the bread and wine. Today we're talking about the part that meals, the meals you share, what part those meals play in your life for a deeper sense of presence, a deeper understanding of mystery. And there's something about a meal, not a window pickup at Burger King, my favorite hamburger, by the way, and eating it in your car or eating a takeout at your desk, but a real meal that speaks of Jesus' presence, your meals, your Sunday meal today. To get us into this sacred place, this sacred space, we're going to be looking at famous paintings that give us hints into that divine presence that a meal can have. And understanding that and celebrating that, it can make the difference between a meal and a burger on the run. As we view two paintings now, I'd ask you to think about a word that comes to mind as you view each. This first one is familiar to us all. Yep, looks very familiar. The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. It was painted by Da Vinci in 1498, that's six years after Columbus set sail for America. This is an old painting. It hangs on a wall in a refectory, a dining room, in a monastery in Milan. It's a Dominican monastery. It is generally believed that the white bearded apostle way on the right is Jude Thaddeus, but the face is actually the face of Da Vinci himself. Take a look. I've highlighted it for you. Leonardo 
also cryptically signed this painting. Can you find his signature? Well, here's a hint. Notice the tablecloth's right-hand edge. I've highlighted it now in yellow. And the knot in blue at the end, the corner of the table, well, that's a signature. It represents the Latin word for knot, which is vincium, vincium. That's the root of the name Vinci. So there you have it. Leonardo da Vinci is very much in the painting as a face and in the painting as a name. Really cool. So enough of art history here. <laughs> Let's take a look at what word or words describe you see portrayed in this painting. Is it surprise? Is it graciousness or friends just being together? Or is it confusion? Is it invitation, reflection, serenity? Now, I'm going to fast forward 69 years to another famous painting. This one is painted by Peter Bruegel, the elder. It's called Peasant Wedding. It's, on, it's an oil painting on a wooden panel. And it captures his devotion to the poor uh, within his nation. And this dominates a lot of his paintings. Again, I'm asking you, what describes the scene for you? Simple folks? Free-flowing? Friendly? Joy? Laughter? Music? Notice that while both paintings portray meals that can be described very, very differently, the poor versus the apostles, that those meals do have something in common. And that's what I want to highlight now. However different they may be, there are four things that characterize all those two meals. The first is connection. The people are connected together in the paintings. Second is the community. There's a sense of being together, talking, intermingling. There's a sense of community, a communion, excuse me, of the very food they're feasting on. And finally, continuity that results from the meal and their relationships. And so meals, however different they may be, your meals included, can create the experience of real presence by connection, community, communion, continuity. Let's go a little deeper now into the Eucharist as a meal. Jesus' last meal really is linked to a prior sacred meal that Joseph, Mary, and he celebrated each year. It's called Passover, obviously. The Jews celebrated their passage from slavery of Egypt to freedom of the promised land by reenacting the exodus in a meal. They celebrated that liberation from Egypt, slavery, darkness, despair, to freedom of the Canaan, the Holy Land. And they celebrated it in a meal, in the very eating of a meal. Now, it is in the 12th chapter of Exodus that the Lord lists the restrictions that Jesus had to follow regarding the annual celebration of the Passover meal. Let's take a look. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, so we're really early in the Exodus, that these are the regulations for Passover meal. No foreigner may eat 
A temporary resident or a hired worker may not eat, very strict. It must be eaten inside the house. None of the meat taken outside the house, by the way, this was penalty by death, so you didn't dare take that pork cho uh, lamb chop out of the house. Do not break any of the bones of the lamb understood. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. So as a result of hearing the regulations for the Passover meal, it gets tied back into the original liberation from Egypt. So in the meal that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are eating, they're reenacting the Exodus liberation. And so, we read, all the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded, all those restrictions. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their regiments. The Lord couldn't be clearer about what is to be served, how the meal is to be celebrated, and why the meal is celebrated. So the Seder Supper of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph every year hearkened back to that liberation. And they experienced in the very eating that freedom, that sense of hope for the future. And while the food served was very different in some respects from other meals, what was always present was bread or matzah and wine, bread and wine. Once again, those two powerful symbols in a meal that represented this liberation. Yeah, bread and wine were the elements of liberation of the Jewish people. What we can say is that the four elements of all special meals that create an experience of presence were present in the Passover meal, and certainly the Last Supper. Let's take a look again, the four elements. Connection for the Jews, it was the Exodus. They re-experienced in their eating of the bread, drinking the wine, that liberation. Community, now you can probably see the four C's coming out. Who's to be included and who's not to be included? Genesis, Genesis makes that very clear. Communion, in the food, I just mentioned bread and wine. And finally, continuity. Remembering, remembering what their past was, celebrating their present, and giving them hope for living the future. We're not strangers to such celebratory meals. Our celebratory meals have their own unique traditions regarding the gathering of what was to be eaten. So can you imagine a Thanksgiving without turkey? I mean, even a tofu turkey? No, you've got to have a turkey. Could you imagine a Thanksgiving without who's going to carve it? It always seems to be the same person. And where people ought to sit, big folks, little folks at the table, and who sits where? Once again, it's not just Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's Easter meals, it's wedding receptions, anniversaries. While what is served may be different, we see the same power of presence in those four C's, summarized as connection, community, communion, continuity. Now, for the sake of application, <clears throat> I'd like you to imagine that you're going to have a last supper. It's really going to be your last supper for some reason or other. It could be mm, you're moving overseas and you won't see these people again. Or your health is failing and you just don't feel up to a lot of company, or you're confined to your home and you live far away, what would your last supper look like? 
Who would you invite? What would you serve? What would you want to recall or remember? Well, just as an example, for me, I'd say, um, my last supper, I'm moving to Sicily to the home of my parents. I'd probably invite Nativity staff. And in a moment, I'm going to show you what my last supper might look like. But before I show you that slide, just trying to get your curiosity there, a word about what I'd be serving. I probably have lots of wine, probably not matzah, but maybe garlic bread. Uh, I'd have lasagna, of course, caprese salad. Can you guess what I'd have for dessert? Cannoli. Whoa, okay. Cannoli, a very famous Sicilian dessert, I might add. And now for the revealing. This is what my supper would look like, complete with nativity staff. <laughs> Notice the lasagna. And there's the nativity staff all around the table. Cannoli, lasagna. There's no restaurant in Timonium that looks like that. <laughs> but that is my last supper. And there you have it all. I'd allow for some sharing time for how much each of the individuals has meant to me in my ministry here, what I've learned from each of them, how much I'd miss them, and that I'd want to keep in touch in some way when I've settled down in Palermo. Once again, though on a bit of a humorous note, the marks of important meals, connection, community, communion, continuity. Whether it's your Last Supper or mine, Jesus had some very clear intentions at what this meal was to mean for him and those he invited to the table. Let's take a look. While they were eating, these are, this is in Matthew, while they were eating, Jesus took bread when he had given thanks, broke it, gave it to his disciples, and the famous words, this is my body. And he does the same with wine. Takes a cup, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. Given the changing tide of religious leadership and the opposition he's receiving regarding his message of love and compassion, he knew what it was in store for, that it would be his death, and that it would, this truly was his last meal with them. Interestingly, that he gathers them on the Feast of Passover. Why do that? Well, when you know the celebration of Passover is going from death and slavery and sin to new life in Canaan, his Last Supper is the same thing. Liberation from our own personal sin to freedom, compassion, and love in the presence of God. Same, same purpose. That would clarify the connection for Jesus choosing the Passover feast and not just any Friday to be his last meal with them. Be that as it may, Jesus invites his 12 closest friends. What do they eat? The typical Passover food. Roasted lamb, unleavened bread, bitter herbs, several glasses of wine, and bread. There's again, the food for liberation, bread and wine. What did they come away with after the meal? That they, he would remain with them physically and spiritually, even though he would be leaving them and their presence. And come what may, then that would be his passion and death. He would love them to the end and be with them always. 
we continue that Last Supper then, here, now, at Mass. And we just did. But it's more than just a memory to be remembered of what Jesus did at the Last Supper. It's more than a symbol of what Jesus did. We believe it's physically, spiritually, the very flesh and blood of the Lord himself. Let's take a look at what Christians of other denominations believe about the Eucharist. I think you're going to be in for a bit of a surprise here. When many non-denominational Christians speak of the Eucharist, they use the term transfiguration. Excuse me, transsignification, transsignification. The word contains the word signify because the bread only signifies the body and blood of Christ. The way smoke signifies a fire. The smoke's not the fire. The fire's not the smoke. The smoke points to, signifies the fire. They believe that in the Eucharist, there exists only the bread and wine, but is endowed with a new signing ability and pointing to something else. The word, transsignification. Remember that one, trans. It's a change in meaning. In signifies something else. On the other hand, Luther, for a second point of view here, excuse me, Luther and some mainline Protestants hold that after the consecration, the substances both of the body and blood of Christ and the bread and wine coexist in union with each other. He illustrates this by the analogy of uh, an iron poker. Here's the iron poker, there's the fire. I put the poker into the fire, the fire heats up and reddens the poker. The fire is still the fire, the poker is still the poker. So the two are not one. The two are separate substances together. And so we have the name Luther called consubstantiation, substances together. Got it? Now, fasten your safety belts, or seat belts. For Catholics, what happens to the bread and wine is called? Very good, transformation. Whew, double coupons today for you. <clears throat> transubstantiation. It's a church word that means change in substance. Key is the prefix trans, meaning from our side, the human, <clears throat> to the other side, the divine. In this sense, the reality is across or beyond, and so we have our belief in the Eucharist, transubstantiation, change of meaning, substances together, not becoming one, the bread and wine become the body of Christ. So it's Jesus' actual presence, his real body and blood. In the substance of the bread and wine, we still see bread and still taste wine. That's the physical appearance, but the substance of those two elements are the body and blood of Jesus. And for Catholics, that's why we kneel for the Eucharistic prayer. That's why we place the unused hosts in the tabernacle with the sanctuary light lit 24-7. The living flame tells us what's in the tabernacle, tabernacle, the living God, Jesus himself. That's why we don't assertively take the Eucharist We receive the Eucharist. And you all know how to receive the Eucharist. You receive it by making a throne with your hands. You receive it, and then you feed yourself. 
or you receive it on the tongue. Why? Because it's the body and blood of Jesus himself. So each Sunday Eucharist celebrates our connection to Jesus Christ physically. It empowers us to do as he did, to give himself to others as he did, to offer compassion, love, and support as he did, to forgive as he did. But how is that accomplished? It's not so much our willpower alone. It's our willpower with the help and the presence of Christ himself. The answer is simple. In feeding on the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, we become what we eat. Let me say that again. In feeding on the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, we become what we eat. When you eat a hamburger, the hamburger becomes you. When you eat the host, you become what you've eaten. It's an amazing, amazing reality. And you become Jesus' living presence for others. So the power that is there is transferred to me, and then I become that presence to one another. So with this understanding and Eucharistic empowerment, I'd invite you to plan two or three encounters this week. Friends with whom you need reconnecting, or seniors who'd love a visit or a chat, or relationships in your life that need healing. In short, let's return to those C's. Make a connection this week with someone you haven't heard from. Experience community with someone who feels left out in your own family. Communion, someone to just have coffee with and talk. And finally, continuity, someone I haven't called, written, or thought of recently. This could be last supper encounters, or it could be last lunch encounters, or last coffee encounters, or just a last visit encounter. Who in your life, and I ask you honestly, who in your life needs to be invited to such a one-on-one -on -one event of yours? What needs to be recalled or remembered with each person? What has been lost and is now missed and longed for? And so intimacy with Jesus himself, not just spiritually, but physically, da-da, 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 same presence. What happens at Mass is now renewing your relationships through you. My question, are you ready to notice him, receive him, and act in his name? It's an opportunity not to be missed. Let us pray. God, our Father, it is no accident that we are here today. It's no accident that we feasted on the flesh and blood of your Son, Jesus. It's no accident that we are called to become what we've eaten. Empower us with that presence. Fan the flames of faith in us that we may be a living presence, a compassionate, forgiving presence to others. Help us plan a couple of last suppers, last coffees, last chats with others, knowing that one day we too shall pass and not have the strength to do it ourselves again. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen.
Thanks for watching. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single video. You can be part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples by sharing this video. We're grateful you're part of this community.